lives. And week by week, we've been saying, how does Jesus' presence, as he transforms me, affect another area of my life? And what we're going to see today um, is that we look at this next section of Scripture, we're going to find out how that when Jesus is our center, that even our closest relationships are greatly affected. So today we're going to think about how does Jesus, being the center, affect the relationships that, we, that are closest, but also, I mean this, that we spend the most time with. So how does Jesus affect it? So grab your Bibles, if you would. We're going to open back to the book of Colossians, and the, the text will be on the screen. And, and I would just say this. Um, we always put the text on the screen. Um, but I like reading it out of my Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in chairs in front of you. You're welcome to take one. It's yours as a gift. But, but to, to read it and then to also do this, like to write notes. You know you're all right, it's all right for you to write notes in your Bible? You know my Bible is full? This chapter's in addition. I've got stuff underlined, circled, some in red, some in black. You know, it's, this, is, this is God's gift to you, his word. A gift to you so that you can get to know him more. And live with him. And so let's look at what it says in Colossians. We're going to reading, starting off at chapter 3, starting in verse 18. And then um, we'll, we'll, we'll start from there. So chapter 3, verse 18, it says this. Now, it's funny. When this was scheduled, a little backstory. When this was scheduled um, and we put it together, Pastor Paul, who was working on it, uh, assigned this to me. <laughs> on purpose, this text. He's like, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> You deal with it. Well, I love to deal with it because you're going to see as we go through this today, you're going to go, oh, wow, this makes perfect sense. It's been misunderstood forever by people, and it's been misused by people as a club. Yeah, but he's a chicken. Tell him he's a chicken when he comes back. <laughs> but, um, but this text is this, if, if we will get what it talks about in here, it will affect your relationships, and it will give you, you're going to see, the kind of wonderful life that God really desires for all of us. So let's, uh, so let's look at the text. Wives, you love me, ladies? Wives, we're going to explain this. Be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences for the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to do something. Let's pray for a second. Father, here's what I know. This is a section of your word that has been misunderstood and misused by people for a very long time. It's used to oppress some people. It was even used by some to try to validate slavery. And Lord, here's what we want. We want you to give us light 
We want you to speak to our hearts by your spirit, and you promised us you would in your word, that you would speak to us and teach us by the spirit, and that you would help us today to understand the beautiful thing you're saying here so that, Lord, we can have relationships that reflect your goodness in all that we do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So after reading this, before now, we get into specifics about the thing we just read. Um, Before we get that, I need to put it in context and explain it because otherwise it won't make sense. You see, this is in... This, this is a letter written. Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae. And you can't just pull one part out of it and say, what's that mean, without understanding what's around it. Because what's, what's around it speaks to it and tells it. Like, if I pulled out something in the middle of a letter that I wrote to you and you took it out of context, it wouldn't make any sense. So the Bible's the same way. We can't even just pull a section out. You have to read it in its whole context. So before we get into the specifics about the relationships that Paul is talking about here, let's put it in the context of this. So in the previous paragraph, and I need to do something for you right now. This is why having a Bible is so important that you'll understand. I just felt compelled to tell you this, a little sidebar. Bear with me for a second. But as you're trying to understand the scriptures, do you have your Bible in front of you? Or I'm not sure if on your phone it has this way, but you see how in verse 18 it's in bold letter. It's a bold number. It's boldened. And then in verse 22, it's boldened. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, it's bold. The reason those numbers are bold is because those are paragraphs. And you can't understand what's going on unless you understand how God is writing. And so, remember, like the numbers in the Bible, it's like chapter 3, verse 1, mean nothing. They mean nothing. People put them there years and years and years after the Bible is written to try to help you just find where you are in the text. They mean nothing. Don't ever give value to that, thinking, oh, this certain number means something. It means nothing. It was added long afterwards. What means something is when you see the bold numbers, like verse 18 is bold, verse 22 is bold, 42 is bold, it means that's a new paragraph. So you understand when you write a letter, a paragraph is a thought, and the next paragraph is a thought. So we're going to back up to the paragraph right before that. So we read 18 to, to 4.2, which is two paragraphs, but we're going to back up to the, verse, the, the paragraph before it because it explains what's going on with what's going to come in the text we just read. Does that make sense? So back up for a minute with me to, um, to chapter, chapter 3, verse 12, because what's going to happen here is he's, Paul is going to be defining what our relationships will, should look like. How, because we're going to talk about relationships in, later in the chapter, but he's going to say, what in a general sense should our relationships look like? So look in verse 12. It, so, it says, so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved. Who's that referring to? People who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've come to Christ, you've given your life to him, and now because of Christ, God, you, you recognize that God has called you, you've responded to him, and he says the, the, now the, the spirit of the Lord has come upon you through salvation, and the righteousness of Christ is now given to you, and you're holy and beloved in the eyes of God. So those who, are, who have been chosen, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, put on a heart of, uh, of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you 
forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul here is painting a picture, a general picture, of what our lives in Christ can and should look like. This is the kind of life God wants you to live. It's a life defined by love and unity and compassion and kindness and humility and all the things he describes there. Now let's be honest for a second. That general description of how relationships can be sounds really great, doesn't it? Can you imagine if in your home everything was defined by love and unity and kindness and grace? No fighting, no squabbling, no arguments. It sounds wonderful. Lives lived with with all this goodness. Sounds kind of like heaven on earth, right? But let's be really honest. That's not how most of our relationships function. Don't raise your hands. Anybody have an argument in the car on the way to church today? Don't raise your hands and don't look at each other. I'm looking down. We all know what it's like. Squabble, fight, problem, walk in the door. Hi, everybody. Life is wonderful. Nice to see you, Pastor Mark. Glad you're back from Florida. You know, right? Right. We're being honest. Why is that? See, most people in all societies, including us, live by power and dominance. Most people, whether we really think about it or not, live by this motto. Might makes right. So the strongest and the richest countries dominate. And the biggest and the toughest kids on the playground generally abuse the smaller and the weaker kids. And the generally bigger and stronger men can dominate and abuse generally smaller and weaker women. And the older and the bigger parent can, can, if they want, mistreat and neglect smaller and weaker children. You say, well, that's a pretty bleak picture. Well, our courts are filled with cases where this goes on every single day in every county, in every state, in America, and around the world. That is the typical way of the world. Might makes right. Or the world's version of the golden rule. You know, what the, you know what's the golden rule in Scripture? Do unto others, you do unto yourself. What's the world's version of the golden rule? Those who have the gold make the rules. That's the world's version of the golden rule. Those who have the gold make the rules. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount version is do unto others as you want them to do to yourself. The world's version of the golden rule is he who has the most gold makes the rules. It's pretty accurate, isn't it? I'm I'm not stretching anything here. But along comes Jesus. And he changes everything. Jesus, who is he? Jesus is God himself. Jesus came as a human, being God, part of the eternal trinity, comes as a human being so that we can more accurately understand who God is, what it's like, and how we're to walk with him. And then he dies for our sins. Jesus, God himself, humbles himself 
and limits himself and comes on earth and submits to others. Jesus comes offering love even to haters. He never abuses anyone, even though he has the absolute authority to literally destroy everyone. He never dominates anyone. Rather, he walks in love and he walks in gentleness and he walks in compassion to rescue those who are lost and hurting and all people without Jesus are lost and hurting. And he comes not only to serve others, and he said, I came to serve, but he comes not only to serve others, but he comes to serve as an example of what we can be like as we live in him. And he changes us from the inside out. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in this section of Scripture, this chapter 3, verses 12 and on. This is what he's getting at. Um, He is showing us in these verses what relationships lived out between people who live like Jesus lives will look like. He's saying, if you live in me and you act like me, Then as you interact together, you'll have this beautiful existence, verse 12 through verse 17. Love, unity, peace, kindness, ministering to each other with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, all this wonderful thing. It's what you'll have if you walk with Jesus. And then in verses 3, 18 to 4, 1, which is our text for today, this has all been explanation, what he does here is he explains how that can be done. In the first verse, he's saying this is what it can look like. And then in verses 18 to 4.1, he says, and here's how in Christ you can accomplish it. These verses give us guidance for our closest relationships. This guidance is the exact opposite of how most people in the world operate. It's the exact opposite of might makes right. And look at the relationships that he deals with here. He says husbands and wives, parents and children, Employer and employee. You know what he say? He said it doesn't say employer or employee. Well, it says slaves and masters, and this would be the closest comparable in our culture. Because he's really talking about in this text in relationship of, of when he says slaves and, 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 and he's just talking, dealing with the culture as it was in that day. He talks about masters and slaves. He's talking about a working relationship. Because he's clearly talking about how you as a servant would work for your master how you would work in that situation. He's talking about a work relationship. And the closest comparable we have would be the idea of an employer and an employee in our culture. Now notice something about how Paul structures this in verses 18 and on. He has wives and husbands, fathers and children, slaves, or I'm going to say this, employees and employers. And what do you notice about the structure? On each pairing... Paul lists the one who is most often taken advantage of, and then he lists after that the one who is most often takes advantage of the other. So he says to wives, the one most often taken advantage of, you know, wives in the world are at times abused and mistreated by husbands or by men who are generally bigger and stronger. He says children in the world are often abused and mistreated by fathers or mothers who are generally bigger and stronger. He says employees who in the world are often abused and mistreated by employers who are generally bigger and stronger, meaning they hold all the power. you got to do this. I hold your paycheck over your head. Then he lists those who are more likely to take advantage of others. Husbands, fathers, employers. And notice that in general, 
He tells those in the positions of power to not mistreat those under their control. And to those who are in positions of of dependence or inferiority, he says to submit and obey in this situation. And although that may seem odd on the surface, especially to those in positions of dependence, we're going to see how Paul puts this together in a way that leads to what the goal is, getting together in loving unity of having a wonderful existence because we're people being transformed in the image of Christ. See, let's understand what Paul is doing here. He is undermining the conventional might-makes-right way of relating to one another. He is pointing out that in Christ, there's a better way. And the better way is the way of love. That's what he's pointing out. The way of self-sacrifice, the way of self-control, that leads to unity and kindness and peace that we all really long for and that power and dominance will never lead to. So look at what he says here. He starts with husbands and wives, and that's where we're going to spend most of our energy. Let's talk about husbands first. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The New Living Translation, I like the way it says it better, I think it's more understandable, says, husbands, and never treat them harshly. So husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So the person who is generally in a position of dominance, husbands, Paul says to not operate according to the might makes right mindset, but instead make sure that you never treat your wife harshly. Rather, you are to love her. And according to Dallas Willard's definition of love, love means to always will the best for another. So your husband, you are to to always in all your relationships never be harsh and instead always will the best for for your wife. In other words, you are to be like Jesus to your wife. Now think about something. If a husband, as he is growing in Christ's likeness, grows in his ability to love his wife well, never being harsh to her, treating her as Jesus treats her, which involves never treating her harshly, never using his size, strength, and position to push her down and to hold her back, then do you think that wife, we're talking about husband and wife, we're not talking about men and women in general, we're talking the relationship of just husband and wife. Then do you think she would have any difficulty doing what the Apostle Paul instructs here to wives in verse 18. Wives, subject to your, be subject to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. I think the answer is no. She wouldn't have a problem. If a wife knows her husband is genuinely out for her good, listen, then it is easy to partner with her husband. And understand something. That's really what being subject to is all about. Being subject to is about proper partnership between husbands and wives. You see, in Scripture, we see an order that God establishes between husbands and wives. God created man first and made woman to partner with him. And a better way of looking at it is this, to complete him. God made wife to complete him. And together, according to Genesis 3, together the husband and the wife reveal the image of God. 
The image of God is perfectly revealed or imperfectly revealed because of sin, but is revealed as husband. It says that as husband and wife come together, they reveal the image of God. Both are equally important. Now, in this union, as with any union, their order is essential. Order is essential everywhere. Order allows things to work properly. Our church works properly because we have order. Businesses work properly because they have order. Proper order here produces what? The unity and harmony that, that Paul is saying is possible in our relationships. And in the union between husband and wife, we see in Scripture an order. God gives the husband the place of ultimate responsibility for the care of his wife and his family. God gives that responsibility to husbands. The ultimate responsibility to care for his wife and his family. And God gives the wife the ultimate responsibility, the position to partner with the husband in the care and the nurture of the family. So when Paul says for wives to be subject to their husband, it's not about ability. It's not about intelligence. It's not about importance. It's simply about an order or a structure in the family unit that will result in a loving, unified existence as a family. An order where the husband holds ultimate responsibility before God for the care and the protection of his family, and the wife is his partner, equal partner, in doing all of that. So for a wife and a husband to experience a kind of loving unity that is possible in Christ. It involves both of them fighting against what they see in the world and embracing God's best for them. Where the wife walks alongside her husband, holding hands, she's not behind him, holding hands together and helps him be the leader of the family that God intends for him to be, And where the husband uses his strength and abilities for their good and never to push his wife down or to keep her from blossoming into the person God has designed her to become. As the leader, he wants to have his wife, cause his wife to grow into everything that God has intended for her to be. Does that make sense? It's all about the way to bring love and unity into the marriage relationship. God created an order for it to do a structure, not saying one is more important, not saying one dominates the other, but rather an order in the family, not in society as a whole, in the family unit. So that the family unit, there is order and structure that leads to loving unity. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, then goes on to then apply this same concept to the other two relationships found in the text to the ones who have the ability to be most domineering, to fathers, to children, and employers, to employees. He says, do not live by the might makes right um, model. Fathers, employers, do not exasperate your children. And to employees, treat people with fairness, or employers, treat people with fairness and justice. He's calling on those in positions of power to live out their Christian lives. He's calling them to be like Jesus, who according to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi about Jesus, he wrote this about Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, 
He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let's flip the second chapter of Philippians. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is fully God. Yet to reach and rescue humanity, he limited himself, he humbled himself, he gave of himself for everybody else's good. And that is what Paul is saying leads to peaceful unity in the family unit and in relationships. Those who have the ability to dominate others don't do it, but rather they act like Jesus. They love and they serve those people who the world would dominate. They are different. They love and they serve And to those who tend to be in a position of being, could be taken advantage of or dominated, he says, do what you know is right. Children, listen to your parents. Employees, work hard and be honest. Paul's point is this. Everyone has a role to play in causing our relationships to be filled with loving unity. He's saying, listen, he paints this picture, 12 through, verse 12 through 17, beautiful world it can be. Verses 18 through 25, he says, and this is how it could be accomplished. So in light of Paul's teachings, here's my question as we close. What is God asking of you? Do you need to grow in your ability to love instead of dominate? If you're in a position in this world where you're one of those in those groupings that you have the you are in, you're given power simply by maybe your gender, or you're given power by your position, you're given power by your size. Do you need to learn to be self-sacrificing more and use your strength and power to cause the people around you to blossom? Is God calling you to that? Do you need to be countercultural and submit to the leadership of your husband or your employer or your parents? Not meaning they're better than you. Not meaning that they're more talented than you. Not meaning they're smarter than you. But meaning they're in a position that causes them to be responsible of the people around them. And are you rebelling against that and fighting against that leadership, that, that, that covering that God has placed over you. You're the employee who's bickering about the boss. You're the child who's fighting against mom and dad. You're the spouse, the wife, who just says, I, just don't, I can't live with it. Here's the deal. You can't live with this, wives, unless you believe that this book calls you to live a countercultural life. You can't. Because everybody around you will say, this is the biggest bunch of garbage I ever heard in my life. Can I take and ask you a question? Do they have good lives? Here's the thing I ask people all the time. How's that working for you? How's it working for you? You know what I know? And this is not one bit of arrogance. I got a great marriage. I'm married to the greatest woman on planet Earth. That's what I believe. Some of you believe the same things. 35 years in June. Raising two kids that love the Lord. Their wives are in church here. Raising kids who love the Lord. Their wives love the Lord. Their kids love the Lord. You know one thing that required? Requires? 
I don't use any ability, and I, I have at times, and I need to repent and change. I don't use my ability, God's given me the headship, to ever dominate Suzanne. Matter of fact, one of my number one goals in life, and we're done just imperfectly. I'm not trying to say, oh, they're so great. No, imperfectly. But one of my number one goals in life has been to cause Suzanne to blossom, to use what God has given me, the responsibility to cause her to become everything she could become. And she stands alongside me and supports me to become everything God's caused, caused me to become. Have we fought along the way? About 10 million times. But you know what? We try to live by these principles, and here's the deal. I wouldn't trade what I have for all the money in the world. So you look around the world, and they go, oh, it's about stand up for your rights. You know what? How's that working for you? You know what's working? 2,000-year-old theology that God gave the Apostle Paul that comes from all of eternity because God is eternal. There's a point you've got to stop listening to people around you if you're going to live for Christ that don't know Christ and start to live by God's principles. Because it's not saying in any way, husbands, it does not say you can abuse your wife. It does not say she's inferior. It does not say she's less than. It simply says to make the home function properly, there needs to be a structure. The same way when you go to, go to work, there's a structure. That's what it's about. So subjection is about structure. It's not about inferiority. It's simply saying, and, it's, and guys, if you're not rising up and being the leader you're supposed to be, you're forcing your wife to do what you were meant to do, and you're forcing your wife to act in a way that God doesn't really want her to act for her best. So he says, men, rise up and take responsibility. Not, doesn't mean ogreship. It doesn't mean dominance. It means responsibility for your family. So you're the one who ought to say, no, kids, get your butt out of bed. We're going to church. Not mom. I was joking this morning with the worship team. He's not here, so I can say it. Josh is at the, Josh, Sam's here, though. Josh is at retreat, and he was about 17 years old. And uh, um, he was something somehow lipping off to Suzanne. And nothing got me madder than my kids living off the sin. And I had him backed up against the wall. And he said, he said this to me, he goes, knock it off, you knucklehead. And I'm like, I'm literally going to knock this kid's block off. And Suzanne says, that's what you call him all the time. I said, I do not. And I realized I did. And I repented. I said, I'm sorry, but here's the deal. I, I used my strength, and I was, I never, we'd never ever beat our kids or hurt them. It was about like, you will not disrespect her. You will not disrespect your mother for any reason. You will not disrespect her. Because I used my, my power in that situation to say, oh, no, I'm protecting her above anybody else on planet Earth. Even you, Junior, you're not going to disrespect your mom. You know, Suzanne's going to say, why did you say all this today? <laughs> why? She's going, why? Because that's not in my notes, and I get in trouble when I go off my notes. But here's the deal. You're going to have to look at the world around you and say, you're wrong. God is right. And God says this structure works. And if you do it, if we'll live by this, we will live out to some extent what he's talking about, this beautiful picture in chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, of this loving, unity, blessed relationship that we love each other. And we experience a little bit of heaven, this side of heaven, a little bit of heaven on earth in the kingdom of God. And so I just say, be strong, be risky enough to take God at his word and do what what he's asking us to do. 
Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. To the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services, those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequence of his wrong, which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to become the kind of people that you are describing here. Lord, I pray this. Would you give us the courage to be countercultural? The courage to say, it's okay to say there's a structure that puts responsibility on a husband. It's okay to say that in a world that says it's not. But that we have all the evidence in the world from your word and from experience that says it works. So give us the courage to be the kind of people that cause our relationships to lead to loving unity. So if there is loving unity in our homes and loving unity in our church, and loving unity even in our workplaces as best is up to us. Or would you help us here? Would you help us to learn how to shine in the darkness? In an upside-down world, help us not to be afraid to live right side up. Or give us the courage to be different like you are different. Because Jesus, you had all, you have all strength and authority, and yet you submitted You stood before Pilate, and Pilate says, don't you know I have your life in my hand? He said, you have no power. I could call 6,000 legions of angels right now, 6,000 angels right now to protect me if I wanted, but I'm going to submit to this. You submitted to, to giving your life away. It is strength under power, under control. Thank you for example, for giving us that example. And God, would that example serve to us? Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, please give us ears to hear right now. Speak to us about how we can mature in these areas. Speak to us. Because, Lord, none of us is perfect. We all full of flaws. But you are gracious and kind and patient. And we say, God, help us keep working in us. We know that's your plan. I guess we'd really say this, help us to keep being open to you working in us because that is your plan. Now as we're just in a quiet moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question as we're sitting here today. Maybe you are here today and you are realizing that there is a better way to live, different than what you've seen around you. 
And I want to tell you that way begins by having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life to die for you. That you and me, the Bible tells very clearly, we're guilty. It doesn't take anything to convince us. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. And there's not a thing we can do to break that curse of sin and death that was on us. From the very first person who sinned, it said, if you eat it, you will die. If you turn, if you reject God's ways, death will come. And death and sin have ruled in, in, in people from the day they were born ever since. But Lord, you came to break that. And you broke that curse. You died and you rose again, Jesus. You took our sin upon you and you, and you died and you rose and you broke the curse of sin and death. And it's available to us. And you call to us and you say, now come to me. And I'll forgive your sins. And I'll break the curse in your life. So if you're here today, and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, Maybe you have and you've walked away and you say, today I need to come back. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something that's, that's bold, but it's just between you and me because no one else is looking around. I'm going to start over on my left in the sanctuary. I'm going to say, if you're saying yes, I'm going to say yes to Jesus today. I want you to look up. I want you to look me right in the eye. I'm not going to call you out. I promise you that. I want you to just look me right in the eye. Say, Pastor Mark, it's for me today. How about the whole center section? How about on my right, your left? Just look me right in the eye and say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Lord, you see there's people all over this place that are saying, I'm saying yes to you. Some are saying yes, saying, I want to get serious about what's going on in this text. And some are saying yes to you for the first time, saying, I'm asking you to be my Savior and Lord. And so, Lord, I want to just lead our church into prayer. If you've not given your heart to Christ, I want you to just pray. We're going to all pray this prayer out loud. I want you to pray this from this, just from your heart. There's no magical word. You're just praying it from your heart. Because right now, the only way you could have this sense that you need to turn to Jesus is because He is calling you to serve Him. He's calling you to walk with Him. So let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, let's pray out loud. Dear Jesus, I need you. And so today... I recognize that I am lost without you. And today, I turn to you. I turn away from my old life, and I turn to following you. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, to cleanse me from all the junk of my past, and to make me brand new in this moment. So today, I receive you as my Savior. And I receive you as my Lord, the one that I will follow. So Jesus, today, I declare that I am yours. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible literally says this. There's a party going on in heaven says there's more celebration in heaven over one person who comes to the Lord than 99 who are already there. So it means that there's a party. Angels are throwing a party right now. 
if you've given your heart to Christ, I'm going to ask you to do one thing before you go to sleep tonight. Tell somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus that today you got serious and said yes to Jesus. That, because here's what's going to happen. It's going to cement it into your spirit, your soul. And it's also going to give that person permission to ask you how you're doing. And they're going to help, walk, help you walk along the path of growing in Christ-likeness. Because we all got to grow. We're not, none of us are there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not even near there yet. We're all growing. So it's giving that person a chance to say, how can I grow with you? Also, as a church, we're here to help you grow. If you've got questions and you want to talk about this, we're here, we're available. We'd love to talk to you what God's doing in your life because he loves you that much. He made this church for you. Amen? We're going to end in a little different way this morning. I am going to pray a great benediction over you, but I need to take two or three minutes to explain something to you because there have been some misunderstandings. If you're visiting, you go, what are you talking about? We have an annual business meeting next Sunday, and we have a really big resolution we're voting on next Sunday. And some of you have misunderstood it. And you know what I've heard? Through tears? Pastor Mark and Suzanne, you're leaving the church. We're not. At all. At all. Say this with me. Say, at all. At all. We're not leaving at all. We are doing a transition in leadership in the church. I'm going to explain why. That's been just precipitated at this age. I'm a little young to do this transition. I believe it or not, though, I'm turning 60 in 50 days. And so I just realized something. If I was playing football, I literally am starting the fourth quarter. Because... Oh, the fourth quarter, because you, you got to 80. If you hit 80, you're in overtime. And so some of you are in overtime, and some of you are in triple overtime, and that's great. I'm going to keep praying for you. But you can break it into in in the 20-year graphs. I'm entering the third quarter. So I'm a little bit older than, I, than some of you think, maybe, at times. So age comes into this. Also, as you know, the whole thing, Suzanne's health is a huge factor in what we're doing because of Suzanne's neurological issues that have really risen in the last couple of years that have caused us to do things like having to go to Florida for an extended period of time to get out of the cold weather. Um, and also just the fact that God has been moving us into other areas of ministry that we just don't have time to do all of it. So we're doing all these silent prayer retreats. So five silent prayer retreats this year. And if you're not signed up for one of the two that are available to, to any non-clergy, you need to do it. One's in April and one's in September. Get signed up because you're going to fill up. You're not going to have to go. So the April one's at Spencer Lake. Go on, go on. Suzanne will get you the information, the district website. And, oh, it's out there. It's also on our Thursday. Every Thursday you get the update. You can do that. Probably on our Church Center app too. You can do it through there. So it's not working right now. I think we're, Suzanne's checking on that through our district. So, so anyways, we're doing all those. That takes me away six weeks out of the year to those retreats that we run um, and I just was asked, believe it or not, I've just been asked by Convoy of Hope, the convoy that we gave $45,000 to last year as a church. You guys are the most generous people on the planet. They contacted me and asked me to lead pastors' soul care fishing retreats. And so we have one this year, and so we're developing those for the country, literally. And uh, so I don't know how they found out that I like to fish, but... Um, <laughs> But literally a guy from Missouri called me and said, I understand you're the guy I need to contact. So we're putting our first ever soul care. Because right now, 1,800 pastors a month quit ministry. Um, only 10% of vocational clergy will retire as a pastor today. And so we are working hard to keep pastors in the pulpits so that you have churches to go to. 
You know, matter of fact, I'm leaving after church. I'm driving to Mather, Toma to spend a night with a pastor. Then I'm driving to New Richmond to see a pastor in the morning. And then I'm driving to Ryle the next morning to see a pastor. Or that day to see a pastor. So it's taking tons of effort to do all this. And it's not fair to our staff to keep me in the main seat because of just the amount of time. I don't, I don't have 46 hours in a day. I have 24. So we began a process of transition, and a lot of you have this. I'm not sure how anybody could read the resolution and misunderstand what it says, but it's basically saying this. Next Sunday, we're voting for Pastor Paul, who's not here today, they're running the youth retreat, Pastor Paul, to become the co-lead pastor with me. I've been here 15 years, a little over 15. He'll become the co-lead. He's been on staff for two years, a little over two years. He'll be the co-lead pastor with me. It does not have a, a specific... Where is it? So just so you know, you see that? Our church is invaded by these box elder beetles, and we don't know. We're cutting all the trees down. All the box elder trees are going down right now. We're doing everything to get rid of them. So um, Pastor Paul will be, will be voting for him to go to be co-lead pastor with me. There's no time frame, but the plan is for one year. The reason we did not put a time frame in it is because what if COVID 2.0 hits and they're saying, hey, we just need you to stay in charge. So um, I'm saying I'm open to that. So co-pastor, lead pastor. At that, after one year, I become a part-time, half-time pastor at the church. With the idea that I was literally asked by by some board members and my staff, would I stay up until I'm 80? I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the fourth quarter. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to the whole fourth quarter. But I said, we have no intentions on leaving. You know, we have an unusual thing here. My kids and grandkids all go to church here. It's like a lot of people, you, you retire and you go somewhere else because your kids and grandkids, mine are here. And uh, so I got the world by the tail, right? So this is our church. We love you. And so this is the structure, the only structure that allows us to stay long-term at Portview. The other structure would be, I would just do this for another year or two, and I would just resign one day, and you'd figure out who your new pastor is, the way that 99% of churches are done. And then the rule with that is, just this basic rule is, if I do that, then I have to leave. And Suzanne has to leave. That's the standard way a church operates. This way, we stay part of the church family, and you guys are saying, you've said you want that, is what I'm hearing. We stay part of the church family, I still preach. I still teach classes. Suzanne still sings on the worship team, you know, as her health allows. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, so we are still part of Portview. So this was a strategy. And me and the board, Evans here, board chairman, um, we've been working on this for years. We started this process. We actually enacted that we we're going to start on it a year ago when Suzanne's health, a little over a year ago, when Suzanne's health was really bad. But it had been put in the, in the, we knew we were going to work on it or enact it a year before that. We're trying to say, how is the best, easiest, simplest, seamless way to do a transition of leadership at the church that doesn't cause any hiccups? And this is why we're doing it. So don't misunderstand what we're doing. We're not going anywhere. This is a plan to try to keep us from not going anywhere. And also, though, but taking a lot of the, the day-to-day operation stuff off of my plate. And we have a, you know, Pastor Paul has been a lead pastor for 17 years. He pastored the, the International Church in Kiev, you know, for 17 Ukraine for 17 years. It's not like we're getting a guy that, you know, that doesn't know how to lead, be the lead pastor of a church. He's done it for a long time. And so this is just the best strategy. We think it's been led of the Lord to come up with a thing 
that is the best thing. Now, there's one other thing you need to understand. Where's Pastor Mitch? Pastor Mitch is 100% in favor of the transition going the way it is. Pastor Mitch believes, we've talked about for years, would his next step be to replace me years ago before Paul's ever around and concluded his best fit is being what? what what's his famous saying? Finances are fun. He's our executive pastor. And he still preaches and he still leads worship. He, he's, our, he's now as replaced Suzanne. He's now our worship pastor. You know, so you get multi-talented. He's 100% on board with it. And so our staff, our staff is 100% on board. Our deacon board is 100% on board with it. We actually created it together. And so this is just the, the, the best way to transition leadership so that there's, there's no hiccups. That You're not even going to know that it happens, really. Because it's going to be way more about just the function of the church that you don't see. It's all the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is about 90% of the job. You understand, this is 10% of my job. 90% is out there. And so you will, so, so the transition will happen, and it'll just be, it's the best way to keep it going because we're just really healthy and strong and doing great. And we don't want to do anything to upset the apple cart, right? All right, so, and uh, I think I told you every point I needed to make about this. So next Sunday, we have our annual business meeting. You need to be here because here's the deal. The reason we have to vote on it the way we do, we have to change our constitution and bylaws because our constitution and bylaws do not allow for, it's not opposed to, it doesn't allow for a co-lead pastor position. So we have this, this resolution I gave you, which basically just indicates every line in our constitution and bylaws that the wording has to be changed. And then it says, when this comes to an end, it goes right back to our old constitution and bylaws. That makes sense? So we're going to explain that all again next Sunday after church. But you need to be here. And everybody's welcome at the annual meeting, members and non-members. You're all welcome. We love you all. But if you're a member, you need to be here because we've got to vote. All right? What? And there's a potluck. You've got to come for the potluck. Make your best tuna noodle casserole or whatever you make. Bring it. Bring something to share. The meeting, our, our annual meetings, I said to some recently, you know, we have those shortest, boring, most boring annual meetings in the world. And they're like, we do. I said, that's on purpose. Because everything runs smoothly. And we, we're totally transparent 365 days a year. So no one comes into it saying, what's going on? You know what's going on every day. And so we'll have a short meeting. Um, they're usually less than an hour, right about an hour. And then we'll go in the cafe and we'll have a potluck. So bring your favorite food to share next week. Um, and it's going to be a great day. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me. You can, you can clap if you want. <laughs> Let me pray this great blessing the Lord gave Aaron to give the priesthood. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.